This is B Hoop Travels, the podcast. Happy 2024 to everybody that's listening. I am. I decided the first thing I would do to start off the new year is to record, excuse me, record a podcast. Um, wow, that's that's a lot of crows. I'm actually on a walk, so this is this is a little different. Doing some exercise and doing a podcast at the same time, but I just ran into a family of crows, which can't be, it can't be a good sign. Instead of pretend like I didn't see it. But yeah, I'm in my neighborhood here. Oh, and the other thing is that we had an earthquake. Um, I'm in LA, back, back in LA, just got back from Georgia, but this morning, we've been back for two days. This morning, we woke up to quite a rattle. I was laying in the bed. It's about 8.30. And Stephanie and I were laying in the bed. We were up. We had kind of, maybe we had gotten up. Maybe I had gone to the, I don't remember. I had gone to the bathroom. Something like that. But we were in the bed. I had my eyes closed. I felt some shaking happening beneath me, which I thought could have been the garage beneath our apartment. Someone was going into their garage, but no, um, that shouldn't last that long. And the windows (laughs) shouldn't shake quite like they were shaking. So the blinds were shaking and I noticed the window was kind of moving around. And, you know, in my mind, I kind of made that shift, that mental shift, where you're kind of bracing for something. Like, I knew that there was an earthquake happening. So, I mean, we're new to this earthquake business. And part of being a newbie is bracing for, like, the big one. Most people here have been here a year and a half. Most people don't talk about they don't talk about earthquakes. Um, they don't seem to be deterred at all, in spite of you know what we know, and in spite of the very grim earthquake predictions. Don't know if it's some sort of collective denial, or it's just some stuff that you just. You know, you know how it is sometimes in a family. It's just some stuff you don't talk about. Just keep quiet. Keep it pimping. Keep it moving. But anyway, it was, turns out it was a 4.4 according to our earthquake apps. And yeah, we do. We are totally plugged into the earthquake apps. And also, for people who aren't familiar with this region of the world, the earthquakes happening all the time. Um, especially, there's a place called Ojai. According to our app, it seems like it's like a very active earthquake area. But Ojai is also one of these kind of like bougie, you know, let's get out of LA and be provincial kind of place right with like wineries and rolling hills and you know essentially country um but <clears throat> anyway yeah it's, it's always popping in ohio but today the uh the action hit much closer to home and it seems like well according to the app rather it said that it was 12 miles from Rancho's Palos Verdes, which is pretty much like the next city over, uh, but in the ocean. So Rancho's is on on the the water. Gorgeous place. If if you've never been, I don't know anything about it, but gorgeous place. We like to hang hang out over there. Um, but yeah, so twelve miles off the coast of Rancho's, which is the the most it's the most coastal you can go that's where the uh, epicenter of the earthquake occurred 
So anyway, so yeah, so we were just a little bit rattled. I think this is maybe the second or third time we've had some earthquake activity. Um, actually, incidentally, the last time we had some seismic, some seismic activity was the day that they had that. Well, they kept calling it a hurricane, but I mean, it wasn't um, sort of the remnants of a hurricane that by some like <clears throat> unlikely probability managed to will its way up to SoCal. So, uh, you know, as a person who's survived hurricanes and lived around hurricanes, that was no hurricane. But on this day where this alleged, totally hyperbolic, sounds ridiculous to say, but on this day that this alleged hurricane occurred, there was also an earthquake. So I'm in my car and it's raining. And it's kind of weird when it rains here, people get a little bit tense. Their driving abilities become uh, impaired. They're just not good drivers when it's raining. And it never really rains that much. That's why it's kind of interesting to me. But anyway, so you're kind of on heightened alert as a driver because people here just aren't accustomed to driving even when there's a drop of rain. And while I'm driving, I feel the earth move, which was also interesting because I wasn't entirely sure if I had like, I don't know, hydroplane, but there should have been no reason for me to hydroplane when there was barely any water on the ground. But it turns out it was, my wife called and she was like, yo, did you feel that? And, you know, our trusty earthquake, earthquake apps let us know what was going on. But yes, so uh, enough about all this hurricane business. We are back in Los Angeles. We got back in LA. Um, we flew into LAX. We flew out of Long Beach, which, um, you know, I can't tell people enough. It's any LA area uh, airport is going to be better than flying in and out of LAX. I mean, if you like chaos and confusion and stress and traffic before you travel, then you know, LA, LAX is for you. It is the airport for you, which I'm not unaccustomed with that type of chaos, that brand of chaos, because you know I lived in Atlanta and we know Atlanta is the world's busiest airport. Although, I have to admit, it is quite efficient, but it just has to grapple with a huge volume of people. And I don't care how efficient you can be, there's always going to be some sort of modicum of crazy. But anyway, we flew in uh, quite late, two nights ago, into LAX, and, you know, we have to mention, we took our cat. We have to mention Mateo, um, our gray, adorable, uh, kind of mean cat that we've had for a couple years now. So we have uh, gotten to the habit of not traveling, doing any air travel or any road trip travel for that matter. But the last couple of trips, we brought Mateo along and, you know, some people see him and they see that he's a cat. And we all know cats are kind of ridiculous. And aren't like the easiest pet. But some people say they wouldn't dream of having their cat travel with them. And our cat's actually been traveling with us since he was like a couple of months old. It wasn't easy in the beginning. Um, he didn't like it at all. And we made an executive decision to find a cat sitter, leave him at home, and just not deal with the stress. But we also miss him, um, especially if we're going away for 
long period of time, and I don't know, I just don't like the idea of leaving him alone for, you know, 10 days or two weeks. Now, if we're going abroad, you know, it's not possible to take him. So we don't have another option. Uh, but for all my pet owners, there's, um, well, cat owners, I, I'm not sure if this would apply for dogs, because my my wife manages the uh, cat care arrangement. There's an app. I mean, there's an app for everything. And it's called Meowtel. And we've found a really, through Meowtel, which we've used when we lived in Atlanta and where we uh, presently use, uh, we found a lady and she's actually from Alabama. Uh, so we have kind of that Southern type of connection and she's been watching Mateo probably, I don't know, 10 times, a dozen times, not really sure, but she knows Mateo, she watches Mateo, we trust her, we have a great relationship. Um, but get you a good, get you a good pet sitter and you know, you just have to find someone that you can trust, um, which will allow you to rest easy. Um, and then we have a camera in our place, so <clears throat> we can see what she's doing. We can see what the cat's doing. And he's the, oh, <laughs> the, the pet sitter isn't misbehaving, but the cat for sure is misbehaving. And he's climbing on everything and he knows he knows that we are not a cat on the furniture. Well, you can get on the sofa, but cat, cat in the kitchen, cat on the, t the, the, the dining room table. No, no, he never does. He never walks, climbs on those areas. But when we're out of town, he does. And there is a microphone feature through the security app that you can use um it's not it's not clear but we yell at him <laughs> so we've been you know in fiji or italy looking at the app and watching him prance on the dining room table and might add a quite uh, blatant and disrespectful manner so we're you know in some cafe or restaurant yelling at him to get down and he actually hears the noise and he'll sort of walk over to the camera which is actually on a counter in the kitchen which kind of like defeats what we're trying to do here so you know we just kind of have to as a the old rapper slash urban poet used to, master p used to say you just gotta charge some stuff to the game. So we just charged that to the game. But uh, Mateo did pretty good on this trip. Um, actually, he did phenomenal. Um, it was not an easy flight path. We did have to change planes. Um, normally we do opt for a direct option, but flights were exorbitant and we, uh, would rather save money to do other things and decided to suck up the the kind of crappy flight plan. I guess it wasn't the flight plan. There were some delays and there was this gate mix up in Hobby Airport where the flight changed gates seven times. No, six times. Over the course of 40 minutes. And what made it really unacceptable is that no one made any announcements. So if it wasn't for <clears throat> my wife and I, we kind of worked collectively. If it wasn't for us checking the app or looking up at the screen, because they actually would change it. And they wouldn't make an announcement when they changed the, you know, the screen at the gate. They didn't tell us. They didn't say nothing. They didn't say one word. And then we had to go and ask, and they're like, oh yeah, the, this, this flight's going to Dallas, or this flight is going to El Paso. This flight is not going to Los Angeles. Not, not cool, not, not cool at all. So we are, you know, doing the equivalent of like musical chairs 
and we have all our stuff because we did travel uh, pretty heavily, if you will. We got all of our stuff, got all of our shit, and a cat who's over it at this point because it's getting kind of late, and his chewable, calming things are probably starting to wear off. But uh, we 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 managed to get to the right gate at the right time. But I mean, it was kind of like a comedy of errors to see, you know, 170 people moving from gate to gate to gate. We even saw one girl. Now, I know she was stressed. This was stressful. She thought maybe, maybe she had her headphones on, as people do. Excuse me. As people do when they travel and didn't really pay attention. She just assumed that there wouldn't be 75 gate changes. And I'm assuming that at the time she realized that the gate had changed, which I overheard her. She was at the other end. At one point, the gate was at the opposite end of the airport. And she shows up in a huff, which, you know, I also understand. But she shows up in a huff, and the door to the jetway was closed. And she grabs, yes, yes, you know, this is a federal, federal space. Airports are federal spaces. And you don't want to do something stupid in a federal space. Anyway, she's grabbing the door. And she's trying to open the door to her house. And there, I don't know, 20 people standing around her who could have answered her questions. The gate agent wasn't there. The gate agent disappeared. Don't know where they were. But I'm trying to understand why she thought that was okay. And she kept saying that she was confused and scared. But I don't know. I think if the wrong person or maybe the right person would have seen her, Trying to open the door to the jetway when it was locked and we hadn't boarded the plane and she, you know, hadn't cleared because, you know, you're supposed to scan your boarding pass. So just not anybody should be going down the jetway. But, you know, she thought it was okay. And that was mind-blowing to me. I suspect there was some sort of privilege at play here and how, you know, I'm often fascinated in the way that privileged and entitled-minded folks don't really see or don't really understand rules that I think are universal. And in this case, this is like tampering into a restricted area and a federal airspace slash airport. Anyway, they didn't arrest her or anything. Uh, I saw her with, when we got to LA. And she had the world's smallest luggage. I just wonder where she came from and how long she was there. She, This bag was... I mean, I have a tiny carry-on, but... <clears throat> but this was a checked bag. I don't even know why she checked it. It's tiny. And I don't know if she was, like, traveling with, like, Doll clothes or <laughs> pet clothes, or I, I, I just can't imagine that there were like adult sized clothes in the bag. But anyway, um, this was supposed to be about Mateo, but Mateo did well and he's home. But the funny, the funny part, the reason that I wanted to bring it up is that he went into hiding for about a day. And Stephanie was like, yeah, I think, I think Mateo needs some me time. And this, this happens where he's traveled and has been so wired and energized that he doesn't sleep. And, and actually he didn't really get to eat because we were, you know, in motion and yeah, doing, you know, gate 
uh, musical chairs. So we didn't, it just kind of slipped our mind. And uh, so he didn't have a, a lot to eat. He didn't really go to the bathroom. So the next day he came home and he chilled hard. And, you know, we already know cats don't do anything anyway. Like, or I guess you could argue the one thing they do is they know how to chill. And he disappeared. Normally, he's in our faces all day. Uh, he did get a new cat tower for Christmas. So he, which I'm happy about, seems to be a lot more acquainted with the cat tower. And uh, that's where I guess he had his, you know, self-proclaimed spot day. And he got the requisite me time that he deserved. <laughs> uh, we all retired. And uh, he seems to be back to himself. Okay, so this podcast, I haven't done, I think I've done like one podcast this year, two podcasts, but we all, we all know I'm not going to explain. I feel like I always over explain um, when I haven't done a podcast in a while, but yeah, we did some traveling this year and I think I covered, I think we went to Italy and I did cover Italy. I did do a podcast, and I think I did one for Santa Fe, which is at the beginning of the year, which, you know, again, I will say one thing about New Mexico uh, really impressed me. I was very impressed. I was very, I'm very encouraged to go back. Um, The reason it's, I think that as you, or as I get older, the things I want out of travel experiences change, not too dramatically, but really what I'm getting at is that Santa Fe is unique. It's a unique travel experience and, you know, it's an aesthetic too. Um, Even for you, you know, give you folks a hard time, you people that travel for the aesthetic, so you can have nice Instagram pictures. I think Santa Fe and Taos and, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, has a lot to offer you uh, with regard to, with regard to photos and stuff for Instagram. So if you're there for the vibes, um, you know, yeah, it's going to be a win. But yeah, it's such a unique place. The food scene is spectacular and it's just a multi-layered cultural experience there's there, there there's so much to learn i learned so much um i saw some things that i simply didn't expect to see and the people were kind it was just it was just a nice laid-back place and we did go in january uh it was a bit cold but yeah um you know can't say enough about <clears throat> how impressed I was with my visit there and how we both, my wife and I both, uh, plan to go. And in our minds, it could even be a place that we uh, stay for an extended period of time, um, you know, if, we, if we're able to do so in the future. Um, but it's certainly a contender. And I suggest everybody, I mean, if you want to relax, I think it's a mature person's kind of place. Um, You know, there's, you know, no nightclub and it's not kind of like a vacation in a box sort of place where like a Vegas or, you know, a Disney kind of place um, where all of your attractions and things to do are just kind of there and easy to find and figure out. Um, But yes, I probably said more than I wanted to say about Santa Fe. And we did go to Taos, um, didn't spend a lot of time in Taos, didn't really get to dig into what makes Taos unique, didn't get to get a real kind of connectedness um, at least to the extent that you could do so on 
a short vacation. Um, but it is a renowned place and people like it a lot. But yeah, I have a podcast about it where I go into depth about our experience in New Mexico. And if you haven't been, you need to go. You need to go. And no, the uh, New Mexico Chamber of Commerce or Tourist Advisory has not like paid or consulted with me for this promotion. Um, but this is really just my honest thought about it. Now, um, anyway, we went to New York. We we went to Vegas, Cabo. I don't know if I've done a podcast on Cabo, but Cabo is also uh, a place that surprised me in a good way. Um, it's not kind of, I just assumed it was, I don't know, this basic generic kind of place. I thought there might be some sort of blandness because what I find is places that everybody likes has a bit of like this blandness and because of its blandness it's kind of or it's kind of one dimension but i don't even know how to say that it's one dimensional kind of um nature and the blandness together can kind of appeal to a lot of people and it's kind of like this equivalent of like a, uh, gosh, I can't think of the metaphor, but yeah, it, it's not that. It's not any of those things that I'm having difficulty. I'm actually walking, maybe getting a little out of breath too, but it's not any of those things that I'm trying to characterize here. Um, but yeah, Cabo did surprise us and it's, um, a great place for a beach. I can't think of a, many places I feel like that are better. Um, well, there's Hawaii, which is better, but it's a great beachside vacation. Also, one quick thing though is the water, the ocean isn't swimmable. And if you don't really understand why it wouldn't be swimmable, swimmable sorry, can't talk again. Well, it's the current is strong, and you will get it when you visit. Um, but also, you know, I realize that could be disappointing to some people. Uh, but most hotels there have incredible pools, and you know, there are even other places on the peninsula that are swimmable, and there are even some hotels that have uh, who are located near the swimmable beach so if that's important to you try to uh, find a hotel located near the swimmable parts but here is here to talk about yellowstone um now that we're 30 minutes into the podcast but i wanted to catch everybody up and i wanted to say hi and you know wish everybody a happy 2024 but we did we went to yellowstone it ended up being a shorter trip than we had planned for, well, it's really my fault, for work reasons. Um, I wasn't able to leave um, on the day that we planned to go. But we didn't let that deter us from going. Um, we were there for three, four days, three nights type of thing. And we flew into Bozeman. And now we're talking about Yellowstone. And the majority of Yellowstone is actually in the state of Wyoming. Um, <clears throat> so, and you're like, okay, well, why are you flying in Montana? Well, Yellowstone is massive. And there are parts of Yellowstone that go into Montana. And the entrance to the park that is available year-round um, is in Montana. And we did go in November. Now that time of the year, the other entrances are closed. And the reason that they're closed is because simply it's not safe. There's a lot of snow. There are areas that aren't passable. It's just 
not worth risking people's lives. And there's a, oh, and the way that Yellowstone is, there are lots of mountains and cliffs and, of course, you know, the wild animals that live there. So there's a, there's an inherent level of, of danger, just not an unreasonable level, but just by entering, you know, you're exposed to some danger. So to mitigate this, they close, I think, four entrance. And also, I know people think of Yellowstone, they think of Old Faithful, and you can't access Old Faithful um, during the, the winter season. So even, even if you enter at the area the park that we did, which is open year round, you can't get there um, because those roads are not passable. But we, well, I didn't plan this. This is, I have to give credit to my wife. I was in charge of uh, fine dining. So most fine dining decisions in our household are made by me. Um, and I did pick a restaurant for Thanksgiving that was uh, fabulous. I can't think of the name. I do, I'm walking and I don't have the name of it. I don't think it's in my phone either, but I can, you know, you can ask me about it, uh, but it was a ranch and it was fabulous. And it was in Paradise Valley. It is some sort of ranch slash hotel situation, which um, incidentally wasn't too far away from the entrance to Yellowstone. But as I was saying, we flew into Bozeman, which was the nearest airport. Very easy getting into Bozeman. Um, my understanding, there's a lot of wealth in these places in Montana. A lot of rich, like billionaire status quo. Um, spend, have homes in Montana live in Montana part-time. Um, there are a number of very exclusive areas, um, but it's almost like what we saw in Jackson Hole. At the airport, they're just, I don't know, hundreds of private planes and jets that are parked at the airport. <laughs> and my understanding is that most of the traffic at Bozeman and many of these international airports in Montana um, are all sort of private. So we flew in, small airport, no muss, no fuss, pretty efficient, you know, got our car and we stayed in um, outside of downtown Bozeman and not, not right in the, <clears throat> the downtown area, which is... Uh, a delightful space with with it, it's quite vibrant i think um that's that's how i would describe it it was, it was vibrant and it, it's a college town right so it has that kind of that kind of youthful energy that you find in college small towns so it, it, it's got college town vibes um but yes so stayed there I think the first night we ate at a restaurant, uh, you know, that I picked, of course, called The Revelry, which was right in the downtown area. Very, very kind of laid back neighborhood restaurant, specializing in like brick oven pizzas, kind of elevated bar food, great drinks, good cocktails. Um, oh, you know what? I don't think they had, you know what? They did not have cocktails because I wanted a cocktail. They did have some sort of apple cider that is manufactured in Missoula, which is another town that we've actually been to in Montana. But there weren't any cocktails. I remember being slightly disappointed by that. Um, but great ambiance, just a, just a fun, unpretentious place with good food. And that's called the Revelry, which is right in the downtown area of Bozeman. Um, but the next day, we had our 12-hour excursion in Yellowstone. 
that my wife arranged and it was phenomenal. Um, we were very comfortable. We did not, it was a private tour who our guide incidentally uh, is a fellow Atlantan who had been living uh, in Montana for like, I don't know, 15 years. In fact, he's from Roswell, which is the next town over from where I uh, lived most of my life. So that was nice. That was a nice feeling to be uh, sharing that time and, and trusted with somebody that reminds you of home. But he was a knowledgeable guy. He you know, said that he's probably been in the park 300 sometimes. Um, he's been doing the guide work for not the, not the entire 12 years that he's been there, but for a number of years. And this guy's knowledgeable. And what I really liked about it is that he goes in there so often and frequently. He knows where the animals are. So we spent maybe an hour trying to find, he wanted us to see wolves. And they had been hanging out. We did, we did see a fox, a gorgeous fox. Got some gorgeous shots of this, this fox. But we were looking for these wolves and we linked up with like the American, the American um, most respected subject matter expert when it comes to foxes, right? He's like the foremost expert on this type of thing. He drives a car, like a like a sedan, like a small sedan, and it's he has like pictures of just foxes on it and there's some like antenna hanging out. So this, this guy takes it for real. He's retired. He doesn't even work anymore, but he's so passionate about foxes. Apparently he does, he's done some, um, made some appearances on NPR to talk about foxes. But anyway, our guy is friends with this guy. And then they were talking on the walkie talkie and we went and tried to link up with him and, he didn't end up finding the uh, the wolf, and I'm glad that we didn't, because he had went like into this valley and up this mountain, and I I was actually sick. I was actually sick, um, which was which sucked. Um, but you know, I'll 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 go on a trip sick. I don't know. I should be saying that, but I, I was sick. And I didn't really have a lot of energy to climb mountains in 20 degrees. It was very cold. It was like 15, 16, 17, 18. And then it, it got colder as we went up in altitude. Uh, but we spent 12 hours with this guy exploring Yellowstone Park. I am still downloading the images from my brain into my permanent memory. I am still processing that experience. It's such a vast, beautiful space. Seeing the wild, seeing the wildlife, seeing them, you know, in their natural uh, habitat, learning about them, um, the kind of anecdotal um, things he was able to tell us about the park just made the trip even more remarkable. One one takeaway is we had a discussion about um, bears, and you know which bears are scary or the scariest, they're all scary, uh, and the bears that you shouldn't be scared about. Um, and really, we brought the question up because there's a tremendous hiking culture here in LA, and occasionally hear about people who run into bears uh, on their hikes. Um, I personally don't ever want, I don't hike that much, and we'll make sure I won't be hiking in areas where people see bears. Um, not something I want to deal with. But we talked about bears. We talked about hibernation. I'm very curious about hibernation. I've always been, I've, I mean, it's fascinating that we, that they are wired to go to sleep as like this evolutionary thing that they do because the weather's so brutal, there's no food, and their bodies are conditioned to kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, to decompress so that they don't need to use energy. And, you know, it's a, essentially a survival. This is the way that they're surviving because they're not going to have access to food 
during like their brutal winters. So they just go to sleep. And, you know, and because they're asleep, they don't, you know, they don't go to the bathroom, like nothing's happening. Now, I did learn that a lot of times that, now check this out. I'm gonna do my best to explain it properly. But we learned that sometimes the female cubs will conceive um, at a time outside of like their hibernation period, right? So what has happened, evolutionarily speaking, is that their body will somehow like delay the conception so that they can have the baby while they're hibernating in the den. So that's why we see a lot of bears, female bears come out of the den with like four cubs or five cubs because they've been hibernating. And I'm assuming it's safer and more optimal to give birth right at the end of hibernation or right at the, right at the end of hibernation. Um, didn't know that. Totally fascinating. And also, the dens aren't like what I thought, you know. I think I had like a Winnie the Pooh kind of thought about what a bear's den looks like. And really, the dens aren't big. Some we, He showed us one. He was like, you know, this is where this particular bear has been coming to hibernate. And we were there at the beginning of the hibernation period. And he was expecting to see this bear, bear excuse me hibernating in this place, but he wasn't there. So that gave us an opportunity to see, you know, we weren't able to walk up close to it, but it was on the, we stood on one side of a valley and on the other side of it, we were able to see this. It's kind of, they like to build the dens on the side of the mountain. And it was just enough for her to, or him, I'm not entirely sure the sex of the bear but it was just big enough for them to fit in there and their heads are kind of like hanging out so they're not hidden at all um well parts or their butts rather i think their face i don't think for their face out front but like their bottom part kind of hangs out i guess if it's a larger bear but yeah this is the reality of you know hibernation uh spaces um they aren't entirely comfortable and they aren't these like glamorous subterranean spaces that we've seen or we've been taught to believe so i thought that was a real tremendous thing to learn and to see there is a geyser like a baby geyser and we at the, at the entrance actually and please forgive me i don't remember the name of it but it's something you can google and there are a number of geysers not, not Old Faithful, okay? Um, but, you know, he's told us, like, over time how the, the geysers erupt um, on different schedules. So I think at one time, Old Faithful was erupting, like, every hour. And I think every now it's, like, every hour and a half, hour 40 minutes, something like that. So, yeah, we were able to see this kind of baby geyser. He was able to give us some anecdotal facts about what was going on with this geyser. Um, but there's also like a hotel. This It's an old military at the time when the park was controlled by, um, before, there, before there was like a federal park agency, it was protected by and ran by the military. So it's essentially like this military base um, that you go through when you enter that has like a hotel and a restaurant. So it's possible to actually get a hotel. Hey everybody, I got cut off. Uh, I recorded the, the first part of the podcast while I was walking and I was uh, laboring under the delusion that I had recorded the whole thing and I hadn't. So while I was walking, uh, I guess maybe I got a phone call and stop record recording um i think i think that's probably what likely happened but anyway <clears throat> i am you may hear my gps 
telling me where to go because I got to run an errand and uh, which would tell you that I'm in the car. I'm in the car. I'm headed to Ikea. I've got to pick something up for Stephanie and I've got to make a couple of other errands uh, before I go back home. But the reason that I'm recording in the car is because I don't always have time. Uh, Well, let me let me correct that. I I don't have time. Um, I'm always doing a number of things and can't create well it gets in the way of creating the space to record a podcast so i'm doing it on the go you can do it on your phone so i'm gonna try on on this second of january uh 2024 uh we made it y'all we made it into the new year okay yeah okay so tell me where to go so anyway i didn't have much else to say i just didn't want to leave y'all like that um you know all abruptly and stuff i don't want to turn here why is it telling me to turn here uh but i i wanted to talk a little bit more about montana and and how fabulous it was and i did go into as much detail as i wanted to talk to do about yellowstone but really, add add Yellowstone, add these parks to your list of places. Um, as I was saying before, I, I didn't really think that I was much of a park person, um, but they're 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 indeed they're indeed fabulous, amazing places to go, and all also. They are spaces where, or the parks are always near cities, and it seems to me that these cities are adorable with cool downtowns with, you know, a very local type of aesthetic. Um, What I'm getting at is that it is, they are often these towns that are near these parks, like, you know. I've been to the one, um, Jackson Hole, which everybody knows about Jackson Hole, um, and then also in Kalispell and Whitefish, Montana, um, but these towns near these places, you know, often have, uh, ski resorts and all kind of, like, winter stuff that you can do, um, which, you know, only matters if you're going in the winter, but yes, I am a big proponent of it, and I would encourage you to go. I did want to talk about the restaurant that we had Thanksgiving. We went to a place in Paradise Valley, Montana, which is on the way to the entrance for Yellowstone, as I explained before. And it's also near another adorable little town center type of place called Livingston, um, which is sort of right off the big expressway there. One fun fact about this area and uh, I guess the wind or how windy it could get. They, the, the, our tour guide told us that they have to close down the expressway and this particular part, uh, which I believe is the Livingston, Montana exit and the, and, and, and the exit that takes you to the entrance of the park. He was telling us, <coughs> excuse me, he was telling us that the winds can get so intense, the winds can be so strong that they can like topple over tractor trailers. And they often, or he didn't use the word often, but I got the impression that it happens more times than you think. They have to close down that section of the road just because of the wind. Uh, I'm, I'm a little murky on the explanation. I don't know if there's like a wind tunnel there or <clears throat> there's something about the, the space that intensifies the wind. I'm not entirely sure, but that, that, was, a, that was kind of a, a chilling thing to hear about and also fascinating to me um, in, in the regard that, you know, you kind of have to learn, depending on where you live in the world, you have to learn to adjust to some things. And we are all like at the mercy of, of, uh, mother nature's wrath, if you will. But the name of the place that we went to is called Sage, the Sage Lodge in Paradise Valley. It's a hotel. It's a, it's a luxury hotel, um, with, 
some of the the rooms are cabins, so you might. So yeah, so okay, sorry about that. All right, we get it, we get it, we get it, we get it. Uh, <clears throat> at any rate. At any rate, this is uh, it's Sage, and like I said, it's it's a good little piece off the expressway. Uh, it is a little bit over the river and through the woods, but uh, if you do it, keep driving. Don't be deterred. And there's, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Um, and there's a reason that they call it Paradise Valley. Uh, but there's not a lot going on in that area. Um, there are some houses. Um, I mean, there are people that live there who want to live. Um, in, in this kind of space where there's essentially no civilization, but it is beautiful God's country. And, and like I said, our meal there was fantastic. And I would imagine we also hung out at the bar and had some good drinks at the bar. So uh, if, if, if this is a, if this is something you're thinking about doing and you're trying to have, you know, uh, uh, elevated luxury experience, I, w- I would recommend the Sage Lounge, uh, but I, I also would recommend, you know, there's always more than one way to do things, so they're, they're, they're often, I'm sorry, they're also, I was watching somebody do something strange on the road there, but there are also a slew of hotels and a slew of cabin places, so there's not really a shortage of accommodation options. And there are even a number of like, uh, kitsy, kitschy, I don't know how to say the word, K-I-T-S-C-Y, I I think that's how you spell it. But you know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at here. But there are a lot of those kind of, uh, hotels that have, again, uh, the, the, the local culture, flavor type of aesthetic, these old vintagey motel type of deals that are, uh, you know, hate to make everything about Instagram, but it's the kind of thing that people would Instagram. And I would imagine the price point for these these motels, because it is a motel, like a motor, a motor in type of deal. Um, the price point wouldn't be bad. But yeah, Bozeman has got plenty of those options. And I talked to you about the restaurant that we went to called Revelry, which uh, was outstanding. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Like I said, I didn't want to just, I didn't want to do a podcast without saying goodbye. <laughs> that, 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 you know, wouldn't be proper. And I am, by the way, if you're wondering, I am hands-free. <clears throat> I have my phone on one of those, you know, doohickeys that you put over the, the air conditioning vent. Um, but I hope everybody has a fabulous day. Um, I, I hope that everybody's at least thought about one goal that they're going to commit to for 2024 or maybe more than one goal. Uh, I don't like New Year's resolutions because it's just just a bunch of talk, but I don't, I just think we should think about, reimagine what New Year's resolutions are, um, and, and don't reduce them to this, these kind of talking points, but I, um, am pretty close to Ikea, so I'm gonna, and apparently you have to, like, I've never done an Ikea pickup, so apparently you have to, like, pull up to an area, and then I'm hoping they put it in the car, uh, but anyway, thanks for tuning in, and can't, can't wait to do my next podcast. Bye.